say the game is getting old Monday morning and your coffee's cold Life is not what you want it to be Hello everyone and welcome to A New Direction. My name is Jay Izzo and oh man do we have a great show for you today. I am telling you, this is the worldwide show. We're, we are worldwide because guess what? I have with me today, all the way from Scotland. Oh yeah, and he was with the BBC. Yeah, he was a journalist. Oh, his name is Athel Duncan. The book is called Leaders in Lockdown. My Mabel, I'm going to tell you what, this book is a book about leaders in the first hundred days during the lockdown of the pandemic, and man, can they help you in regard to how you can become a better leader, because as we're going to find out, you know what, you really want to see the test of a leader, you find out in crisis. That's what Athel Duncan's going to do for us today. He is awesome. You're going to love him. He is absolutely fantastic. But before we get to him, let's do what we do every week, right? I walk you through the four areas of your life and find out how your training is going. One of the things that we've learned along the way in this show over the course of the last three years, and yeah, it's been three years, one of the things that we've learned is we've talked to Special Operations Forces guys and, and even some gals. You know, the things that we've we've learned is that, you know what, when you're under pressure, when you're under stress, when you're in crisis, when you're hungry, when you're tired, you don't rise to the occasion. You only fall back to the level of your training. And that means that you got to train four areas, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. So what does that look like when we talk about training physically and mentally, emotionally, and spiritually? Okay, so what we do is here is on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being miserable, 10 being outstanding, we're going to evaluate your training on that scale in each area. So we're going to take the physical area, for instance, right? So if you were to evaluate yourself in terms of your training, like how you doing regularly, taking care of yourself, like eating right, getting exercise, drinking enough water, getting enough sleep, right? As a matter of fact, what we're going to find out here is from Athel, actually one of the interviews he did, you know what what one of the one of, what we know is that leaders perform better when they're in better condition and they're better physically, right? And so so how would you rank yourself on a scale of one to 10, five being average, how would you rate your training when it comes to your physical side? All right, that's your first number. All right, the mental training. What do we mean there? Well, my wife has pointed out over and over again, right? You don't want to be a mental loafer, right? A mental loafer is somebody who just sits on the couch and lets stuff come at them rather than being an active participant like reading a book or, you know, taking up an instrument, learning a foreign language, something that you're actively participating in your growth mentally, whether that's your personal life, whether it's your business life. What are you doing to actively grow yourself on a regular basis, right? And it should be daily, right? So I read every day. I read something that's going to help me grow and be better every single day, right? And Athel's book really fit well into that because I learned so much and it made me better in my profession because he's also a coach. And so it made me better uh, as a coach, just, you know, reading and thinking through some of the things he did. So if you were to rate yourself on a scale of one to 10, how would you rank yourself in terms of your mental training and growth? All right, that's your second number. All right, the third number is the emotional training. By the way, we've been in emotional training for over a year now. If, if I mean, longer, actually. Because the truth of the matter is, you know, being in a pandemic, pandemic and being in lockdown, right, for some folks um, longer than others, you know, puts a lot of, a, it's a lot of emotional energy, you know, and, and we really evaluate ourselves in really two areas when it comes to emotionally. So what's emotional training meaning? Well, first part of emotional training is how well are you able to maintain control of your emotions when things in your life go bad, right? It's called emotional control, right? That's the first part. And then the second part of emotional training is how well are you able to tap into and understand the emotions of other people? Right. It, it could be empathy, but what we really were trying to do here is we really need to know, do we really understand what they're feeling, right? And, and sometimes it requires us to have a little bit bigger emotional vocabulary for us to understand that, right? So how would you evaluate yourself on a scale of 1 to 10 in terms of your training, in terms of being able to control your emotions under stress, and two, being able to understand the emotions of others, all right? Rate yourself, scale one to 10. All right, so there's your third number. Then finally, the fourth number 
is the spiritual area, right? How's your spiritual training going? And a lot of people will say to me, well, I'm not really all that spiritual. Well, we're all spiritual. (laughs) Whether you want to believe it or not, we're all spiritual. Because the truth of the matter is when things go wrong, we run to something that we believe will help us. Whether it's ourselves, whether it's God, whether it's a bottle at a bar, whether it's whatever it may be, we run to something. And whatever you run to when you're under stress, right, thinking that it's going to solve your problem, that's a spiritual issue. That, because you believe that somehow it's going to fix things. Even though you may not be able to physically see it or understand it. By the way, we all have faith in something. At the end of the day, we all believe in something. We, even if you don't believe in something, that's faith. You have faith that you don't believe in it. That's still faith. The question is, how is it working for you and how's the training going? Because if you're unsatisfied inside of yourself and if it's not working for you, then you probably need to change it. So what is that? How is that working? Is it God? Is it nature? Is it meditation? Whatever it is. Is it working? You need to rank yourself on a scale of one to 10. And by the way, what, you've gotten four numbers now, right? And those four numbers are like the legs of a chair. You know, if the legs of a chair are uneven, right? Our posture is really bad. And if we sit in that chair long enough, it causes problems. By the same token, if the chair is too low, we can't eat at a normal table. And, you know, my next guest here is someone who has got his legs even and at the right height, and he is awesome. His name is Athel Duncan. He's from Scotland. He is the chair of the leadership development business uh, of the leadership development business Black Isle Group. He worked as a journalist, uh, TV producer, and executive for BBC for more than he said thirty years. Uh, he had he was head of news and current affairs for BBC Scotland from two thousand seven to two thousand eleven. Athel is an INSEAD. Now I know in the states we don't know INSEAD. It's I N S E A D. Uh, but it is a, like one of the, it is, I think it is the world's number one really graduate school when it comes to business and coaching and um, it, it's an outstanding school university. He's a, anyway, he went there and he's a certified executive coach who has studied leadership at Harvard and Cranfield. He is currently chair of the Scottish Salmon Producers Organization, which is Britain's largest food exporter. He is audit chair of a cinema business. He's chair of UK coaching and is non-executive director and former chair of the British Horse Racing Authority. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show and welcome to A New Direction, Athel Duncan. Welcome, Athel. Jay, it's great to be with you. I was only 20 years at the BBC, not 30 years. Oh, I thought, I thought it was... I even thought it was... older than I actually am, but I'll, I'll, forgi- I'll forgive you for that. Forgive you for that. <laughs> please forgive me for that one. I apologize, friend. So uh, you, uh, you've written this really outstanding book, and I have to be honest with you. Um, the book is such a great insight into 28 people you interviewed. So let's give people a little bit of background, you know, who you, you know, kind of like who you interviewed, what the process was so that they kind of understand before we start digging in specifics, what it is that you did with the book and with the people. Sure. Well, let, let me take you back to March, 2020. Okay when we first heard of this virus and and it was first getting bad in Europe and and bad in the States. And um, the businesses that I'm involved in that you mentioned, just about every one of them was in some state of jeopardy or in some state of crisis. I mean, you imagine being a a audit chair in a cinema business when the cinema is about to close down, the curtain's going to fall and we don't know when it's ever going to rise again. So to, to be honest with you, um, I was pretty stressed about the whole thing because I'd never been in a situation like this. And, you know, who, who had been in a situation of a global pandemic shutting down the economy, shutting down business and locking us down um, in our houses. Um, and I, I thought it was going to be a defining moment. Something remarkable was happening. You know, maybe the most significant moment in this century. Um, who knows? Only time will tell. And I went back to my old BBC roots um, and I wanted to capture the moment uh, and capture the moment in a way that we could learn from how these leaders had dealt with the pandemic and get some insights into how the world is going to change because of what we've all been through. So, so... 
first of all, there's 28 leaders and they range from different businesses. Cause I mean, and some are not business. Some were actually from INSEAD. Um, uh, you know, for instance, um, Dr. DZ was from INSEAD. He's a professor of organizational behavior, but you, we had all sorts of industries. So what do you say we just dig in a little bit? Well, actually let's do this. You know, you have seven themes in this book that you discuss. I think it's important because they go throughout the book. Why not run people through the seven themes of leaders in lockdown that you experienced as a result of all these interviews? Okay. So let me put them up here. And the, sure. the sun is setting in Scotland at the moment. So it's getting a little, there we are. It's getting a little bit dark. <laughs> but uh, when we worked through with uh, these great leaders um, for really, it was the first period of uh, lockdown. And, and one thing, Jay, was that when we decided to do this as a book, people said to us, um, it, it won't work as a book because when you publish it in November, Everyone will have forgotten about COVID. <laughs> it won't be rel- it won't be relevant anymore. You know, right? And hey, here, here we are in April 2021, and and the story is still unraveling, and maybe right. the trickiest bit of it is, is still to come. Right. But seven themes from these leaders: the new age of purpose, and the feeling that purpose was on steroids for many businesses at the peak of the crisis, and the feeling that if you don't put purpose at the heart of your business going forward in the future, coming out of the pandemic, then you won't engage well with your employees, you won't engage with your customers, and you probably won't engage with your investors. So this, the, the, the theory was that after 20 years of talking about purpose, after 30 years of probably putting it um, on our websites, um, now was the time that purpose became an essential for corporates going forward. The new world of work was the second theme, probably the thing that we've most talked about because so many people have moved, so many millions and millions of people have moved to this home working. But I think it's more than that. I think the psychological contract between the employer and the employee will have changed significantly because of what we've been through. We can maybe talk about that a little bit more. Third theme was tackling inequality because the virus exposed widening inequality in so many ways uh, from the the people who um, died from it, the people who were impacted um, by it, Um, the homeschooling, the access to digital, the way the vaccine is rolling out. You know, I saw something the other day that said 130 um, countries had still not put one jab into one arm mm. and 95% of the vaccines in the richest um, countries. Global cooperation was the fourth theme because at a moment where we maybe hoped that our political leaders would um, work together across the world, we saw our political leaders, no matter whether you were in Asia, Europe, the UK or the US, our political leaders turned inwards and uh, acted, in my opinion, in a pretty divisive way. Um, and it was some corporates who stepped up to cooperate on the vaccine and to cooperate on the track and trace. Resilience was theme number five. So not just personal resilience, but obviously the financial resilience. Mm. Cash was king. <laughs> my goodness, weren't we reminded about that when we looked at anyone's balance sheet uh, and the operational resilience. Number six was resetting the supply chain because the borders closed. And, you know, what did that mean for anyone in manufacturing who could no longer get the supplies that they needed to make their businesses work? And number seven, probably the area that we might talk about most, was maximizing potential. Mm -hmm. The moment that we realized that perhaps the way many people had led in the past was not fit for leading in the pandemic, not fit for leading in the future, uh, we questioned how are we going to lead our hybrid teams, our home workers, mm-hmm. mental welfare, physical welfare, and that all came up um, on the charts as being far more important. Um, and we're left with the the question: What happens next? Right. Because you know we're in this lockdown home working, but in a few months' time, it's going to be something different. 
and that will require, in my opinion, a different kind of leadership um, to shape that and to address what the future of work is. Yeah, listen, the, these themes, uh, they were, by the way, they were great. Some of these some of these that you interviewed could have crossed over into multiple themes uh, that you interviewed. I'm going to jump into the New Age of Purpose theme one. I'm going to jump right to chapter four, who is Lena Nair, and she is the chief um, HR officer for Unilever. And, yeah. right, and Unilever, of course, is a, is a monster company. Um have over 400 brands, including soap, sanitizer. You probably people know the Unilever soaps. So let's talk about Lena and what she discovered here. She she starts with a quote that says, "Our three our three beliefs are: companies with purpose last, brands with purpose grow, and people with purpose thrive." When she said that, what did you pull out of her in terms of purpose? Well, she's she's absolutely evangelical about purpose, and and you know the previous chief exec of uh, um, Unilever, Paul Pullman, was probably one of the pioneers of of purpose. You know, 10, 15 years ago, mm. um, and they, what they really discovered at Unilever was here was a moment that convinced them that they were right all along to put purpose at the heart of their business, and and it goes back to the history of the company because. Unilever was uh, created by the Lever brothers on Lifebuoy soap. Mm. And Lifebuoy soap, certainly in the in the UK, was all about um, tackling um, the pandemics of cholera and typhoid right. in the inner city slums of uh, of Britain. Right. Right. So that's why the company was was formed. And you know, then they came to this moment where all of a sudden, as she she says, cleanliness mattered, sanitization mattered, being germ-free mattered, and they, they gave out billions and billions of bars of soap um, around the world. And, uh, you know, uh, that it rose to being the number one company uh, briefly in the FTSE 100 uh, in the UK. Um, and I think um, Lena would be certainly of the view that um, it proves that purpose drives profit. Uh, you know, it's not an alternative to profit. I thought it was interesting. She had another quote in here that I really, really loved because I love this. You know, here they are in this hundred days of lockdown, and you know, these people are these people are not just making sure their company survived. They're really thinking about their own leadership, which is really interesting to me. She says, "Purpose has truly been elevated because when you are anxious, when you're worried, when you're not sure." The only thing that keeps people going is this higher purpose of doing meaningful work in the world. This time, and she's talking about the pandemic, has elevated purpose like no other. That's a that's that's powerful because it really does suggest, doesn't it, that you know sometimes I think we don't really pay attention to. I think we just show up to work instead of going. Okay, well, what is my higher purpose in what I'm doing? Sure, and and when we're faced with um, such a terrible pandemic, um, the 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 inner purpose comes out in so many people, mm. and you want to do something to help. Right. Uh, and look at the heroes of the the heroes of the health service are obvious, and the volunteers, um, but the way that people react in community that's all about purpose. That's all about wanting to to help your your fellow human being. Um, so yeah, I I. I absolutely see the power of that and, and I've, I've seen some brilliant documentaries um, about the efforts to find a vaccine and how that was done in months mm. rather than in years and there is a group of people who were absolutely driven by the purpose um, to and leadership at every level driven by the purpose to find a vaccine and to get us out of this terrible hole that we were in as, as the human race. Yeah. I, you know, one of the things that, you know, I looked up Lena and, um, you know, wanted to see her LinkedIn profile and see what she was about. Right. And, you know, she is a person who from everything that you read about her is my purpose. She says this, my purpose is to ignite the human spark to build a better business and a better world. That yeah. that's, I mean, you want to talk about leadership. We, you know, as leaders, I think so often we, 
we don't we aren't thinking about that we are the inspir we need to become the inspiration that drives purpose to others. Yeah. Well, we absolutely need to be the inspiration. And especially in these circumstances, because, you know, I'm sure in your coaching, um, you you would uh, believe what I believe. And that is that the conscious, it's like the iceberg, isn't it? And the conscious is such a small um, tip of the iceberg that we see of any human being or any, any leader that we're working with. And really what matters is what's going on in the subconscious and how, and how we get in there and make them more aware of that. Now, what's happening in the subconscious here, without a doubt, is because so many people are faced with their own mortality and with fear and danger about their families, what do we do? We question what is the meaning of what we're doing? What is the meaning of life? What is our purpose? We then question what are our choices in life, what are our choices that we can make in the future, uh, and what is our legacy. And for some people, that was acting out in a very conscious manner. If you see the number of people who've who've made huge life changes in this period, not least the number of chief executives who've called it a day and been replaced by the next generation. Uh, And it will have caused a huge percentage of the human race to question what they were doing before COVID and to question whether they should do something completely different after COVID. Right. His name is Athel Duncan. The book is entitled Lead, titled Leaders in Lockdown. You're listening to him here on A New Direction. Hey, listen, folks, I have two amazing sponsors. One is Epic Physical Therapy. They are fantastic. They're my therapists. Uh, they are certified in the latest techniques and therapies. They are so amazing. I'll tell you, one of the things that I love about them is they work with people like me who are everyday people, and then they work with professional athletes and they treat us all exactly the same. Uh, They understand that there is really this whole need that, you know, my injury and a professional athlete's injury or anybody else's injury, it's unique to us. So that's why they understand that they got to treat the entire body as a functional whole. So look, when you're ready for your epic relief, your epic recovery and your epic results, don't look any further start with the professionals start with the people who really care start with epic physical therapy you can learn more by going to epicpt.com that's e-p-i-c-p-t.com and linda craft and team realtors for over 30 years she has uh, been a leader in the real estate business all over the world uh, she has made relationships for those last 30 plus years actually it's 35 years is that right 35 years Actually, for 35 years, she's made relationships all over the world. Why? How can she do that? Well, here's how she's done it. Well, first of all, she's independently owned and operated. She's not affiliated with a national company. And so she's created these relationships all over the world so that people can find the best professional to get started, whether it's to sell their home or buy their home. And she's, because her bottom line is it's about relationships. And that's what her team does. Her team is about relationships. They aren't the biggest team, but they're the most relational team. So when you're ready to sell your home or buy your home, start with Linda Craft and Team Realtors. It's really simple. Just go to lindacraft.com. That's L-I-N-D-A-C-R-A-F-T dot com. And we're back here on A New Direction. We're with Athel Duncan, uh, all the way from Scotland, as he talks to us as we walk through his book, Leaders in Lockdown. And uh, he's been gracious enough to talk about his seven themes that he's discovered in his books, in his book, in his interviews. I am going to um, move ahead a little bit further in in the book, and I may jump around a little bit, but I want to jump to chapter seven, which is theme two, uh, real quickly. It was Nipur Singh Malik, and he's the group chief um, HR officer at Tata Group. I'm not sure, is it Tata or Tata? Tata, and and he's a she. Oh, I'm sorry, she. Sorry. Yeah, you're right. I my, my bad. I take that back. I apologize, Nipur. I am so sorry. Um, I think there is something here that she discovers that is really critical when it comes to leadership during this time. She says, quote, we must not take, we, we must also take great care of the mental well-being of our people and do more to tackle loneliness. Loneliness is not just for people who live alone. As a leader, don't wait for clarity. Please don't hide. Go and talk with your people. Be honest and be hopeful. That's a really, again, there's another really powerful leadership statement that's really important to embrace in times of crisis when you're a leader. Expand on that a little bit more. 
well, you know, let, let's get, get to the nub of this between Lena and Napur and so many other people in this book. The big question is, is this the end of the Superman leader? And we do mean the Superman leader. Mm-hmm. Has the pandemic brought to an end that era of presenteeism, of command and control, and does it herald in, as Napur was um, demonstrating and explaining there, does it now bring in a new era of compassionate, empathetic, uh, listening leadership, where it's quite okay to say, we don't have all the answers, where people are going to be more empowered by their leadership and where command and control dies. I mean, this is the question um, at the heart of the change or the potential change in leadership out of this crisis. This, you know, we've known this though, right? We've known that command and control is really not working. I think though, like we have learned in crisis, it just exposed it even further. Because you cannot command and control through a crisis. Because because you're dealing with people, and and people have feelings, and people uh, people are we're emotional. Regardless, I mean, regardless of who you are, you're emotional. We need human connection. We are built to be connected, you know, and have social connections. And when we take that away, it affects who we are. Yeah. Right. I mean, go ahead. You can't command and control through a crisis where you certainly don't know the answers. And the the other great leadership um, trait that was brought out in this was making decisions on incomplete information. Right. You know, one one of the leaders in, in there is Mark Thompson, who at the time was the chief executive of the New York Times. And I I worked with him in the in the BBC back in the day. And that was Mark's thing was we had to make some pretty big bets here. And if you hung around waiting for some more complete information, frankly, you were going to be toast. Right. You're too late. Because it was agility and it was the ability to react, react through instinct, not wait for data, to make big calls, to move fast, to do that, use that terrible word, word pivot. Right. Don't like it. But everyone was using it in the crisis to pivot um, and to get on with it. And frankly, if you were hanging about, um, you're toast. And that'll be the same coming out of this next stage of the crisis. It's the agile who will survive uh, and thrive. So I think, you know, one of the things in the people I'm working with, the big question is, what do you want to hold on to in leadership? from the crisis and what do you want to give up mm-hmm. and what do we want to hold on to well the agility and the pace that we're able to do things at the focus on the right things we want to hold on to connection how are we connected and broke down silos and communicated we definitely want to hold on to the care and we want to hold on to trust the trust that was engendered by good leadership Mm. at the height of the crisis. So we want to hold on to these things and we want to give up some of the command and control that didn't work in the past. And and you say we've known about it for years. I think one of the big observations from these leaders about the crisis was that there were no new trends. No new trends. Right. There were only trends that were already gaining momentum that accelerated massively. Agreed. You know, 10 years in digital right. in 10 months and moving in these leadership trends so so quickly as well. So I think no, no new trends, but we moved to 2030 in a summer. Yeah, I I totally agree. I, I there's, We'll talk about Dr. Deasy. You know, there's leadership hasn't really changed all that much in a thousand years. It's just that we we've had to accelerate uh, what we're doing. Uh, at a much faster pace, um, simply because we, and, you know, as you point out, we not only, we have to be agile, but we have to be fast. <laughs> I mean, you, you can't, you, you, it's not enough just to be, you, you have to be both. You can't be just fast and errant. 
you can't be agile and slow. <laughs> you have to be fast and agile. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's it. There's there was no other way to be successful in this because we don't. We're not going to have all the answers. We don't know all the answers. So as a leader. It, it requires you. I, I think this is going to be harder for the left brain people. Honestly, now I'm going to speak. Here's the psychology person, right? The psychology okay. professional. I think the left brain people struggle, will struggle more than the right brain people because the left brain people are so logically focused and they want to have everything in order and they want to have it all line up and they want the process to be perfect. Whereas the right brain people are so much more creative right they're willing to take a risk they're willing to have take some take some chances without having all the information and in this type of environment it just seems like we i get it we need both but it seems like the people who get stuck in the left side of the brain i i think are going to have a much more difficult time than the people who are a little bit more creative what are your thoughts yeah i mean i think that's a that's a very shrewd uh, observation but if you, if you go down, you know, my, my INSEAD uh, uh, model of system psychodynamics is, is what we um, follow quite a lot. So, you know, people role uh, an organization. Mm-hmm. And there's so much of that um, draws out of behavior in the pandemic. So, you know, I talked about the, the conscious and the, and the subconscious and, right. you know, we're, we're not always uh, aware of what we're <laughs> no, doing, never mind no. why we're doing it. <laughs> You're um, right. You're so right. And, you know, there's a rationale behind every human act. Right. Um, our present is all shaped by our past. Yep. Um, and what, you know, Manfred Kett de Vries calls this, the, the snake under the carpet. <laughs> Unless you deal with that, stuff from the past right and um, you're not going to lead in a in a better way in the future because the snake is still under the carpet so i think there's there's so much of that has been brought even more to the fore by the crisis because that dark side of us so the you know it comes out um, mostly when we're under stress and there's never been a period in, in recent times where more leaders have, have been under more stress. And, and the chief executives that I was working with through the crisis, you know, it was, it was tough. It was, and I know it was tough on everyone, right? Um, but it was really, really tough. And they needed time to reflect. Right. They really did need to take a breath, whether that was with an executive coach whether it was with a mentor, um, and, I, and I dealt with a number of people who were utterly exhausted, <laughs> exhausted by the right. pressure of the responsibility, right. exhausted by the weight of the work that they were doing, and they, they needed someone to be that mirror with them. And it wasn't going to be one of their, their colleagues. Right. They needed their executive coach to be there with them uh, to take a pause to reflect because one of the the things that you see in these in any crisis situation is you see a certain group of people who just want to be busy right you know and we know the phrase busy fools because being busy is actually a way of dealing with your anxiety right because you're busy and you're focused on what you're busy with and you're not actually dealing with the problem Right. So uh, quite a lot of the work that we were doing was getting people to take a breath and say, what really, really matters for you to focus on here? Right. And quite often as the coach, we don't know what, what matters. <laughs> right. but we, know that, we know that that is the question right. that we need our coachee to address, yeah. to take a pause, to focus, and to do the right things that will save their business, the right things for their people at the peak of the crisis. Uh, and it's, you know, there, there's, we talk about post, post-traumatic stress. Right. The post-traumatic stress coming out of this um, will be the same as a war. Mm. And, the, and the, people, the people who are suffering from it will be um, the, the heroes of our health service and our care service 
uh, and there will be many of our, our leaders who've never gone through a period of, of, of stress and pressure like this in their lives and, and, and hopefully no, we'll never have to do so again. Uh, you, you know what you you're echoing we had a guest on here uh, a few weeks ago her name was Jen Satterley her husband was command sergeant major uh, Tom Satterley who was Delta Force and was in that 18-hour firefight in Mogadishu when the four Blackhawks went down and they have a foundation I wear their hats called all secure foundation and they deal with PTS post-traumatic stress and she said exactly the same thing she said you know, we deal a lot with combat veterans, you know, in PTS, but when we get to the backside of this, and she said, even now, she said, people are already moving into, we're going to be moving into a PTS with the frontline workers. You know, that's going to be a very real thing that we're going to have to address. And so it just echoes something that has been said, you know, on this show and other shows, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, it's it's going to be something that we're going to have to deal with for sure. I want to talk chapter nine real quick because Richard Bevan, I loved him. I just <laughs> loved him. He is the CEO uh, League Managers Association. Now we call it soccer here. You call it football um, here, but he's he's kind of the CEO of all the managers. Is that is that is he? Yeah, is, he, he represents the managers and the coaches, and the, and I think his uh, organization represents. Uh, a number of man- soccer managers and coaches in the U.S. as, uh, as well as uh, in, in Europe, yeah. But he's a leadership thinker, isn't he? Yeah, he really... He's, he's, a, he's a businessman first and a leadership thinker. Yeah, because, uh, you know, he's, he was the one who quoted command and control are dead, which you talked about. Yeah. But I thought that he had, he made uh, four statements about great managing great leaders that I think are really important. I'm going to read these to you and just kind of get your feedback on it. He said, managers have a great ability to stay calm and to think clearly first. And then he said, they're able to recognize how to be resilient and absorb the negative stress and turn it into positive energy. He next said, they stay grounded because first of all, they can be fired relatively easily. Never thought about though, thought about though. And they have a presence about them, which gives them consistent beliefs. They have a certain style and integrity, integrity about what they say and what they do. And then the last thing he says is when chaos is around them, the manager or the leader has the ability to instinctively make decisions. And I thought these were great tips for leaders in crisis. What else did you pull from Richard when, as you were talking with him? Well, you know, I think the interesting thing about we've always been making these connections between uh, sport and business, haven't we? Right, yeah, right. And actually what happens is that the people who are the big bosses in sport uh, would like to work in business as big bosses sometimes. Right. And the people who are big bosses in business would love to be <laughs> running the NFL teams or the basketball teams uh, or whatever. Right. Uh, but the skills don't quite uh, – I think the theory uh, is is great, um, but quite often I'm not, not sure the individual skills of the individuals would, would uh, transfer uh, – across but yeah Richard's a great thinker you know and uh, I think um, the stuff that he does on pulling out from the great managers so pulling out from Sir Alec Ferguson right. and I think I think Sir Alex Ferguson had this realization um, as he moved on in his uh, management and coaching career that command and control was was dying uh, over the years you know it was a different as a generational thing and a different group of people. Um, that you were trying to lead. So, uh, yeah, Richard's a, a hugely impressive individual and uh, no doubt has been been very busy over the past few days because the, the, the big story over in Europe is the, the attempt to create a kind of breakaway European league, which right. uh, the, the British um, soccer clubs were, were involved in and have now done a big, huge turnover about four, 48 hours. Yeah, I think what people in the States may not have an appreciation, although I think we're gaining an appreciation for it, is that what American football is here, right, which is just passion, is in, because I'm a Serie A soccer fan, I'm a Juventus fan, yes, I said that, and, but in in Europe, uh, football or soccer, what we call it here, is extraordinarily passionate. I mean, what, what they're talking about doing is like 
taking um, half of the NFL football teams here and saying we're going to start our own league. Yeah, and, I mean, that's basically yeah. what they're going to. I mean, it's, it's been it's been dynamite, but it doesn't look like it's lasted right. very long. But but when we talk about sport and business, um, the the other bit that fascinated me and the and the leaders in lockdown was Will Ahmed of uh, Whoop up there in, yeah. in Boston. I'm wearing my Whoop strap. Okay? <laughs> well, my my Whoop strap monitors uh, my heart, my respiratory rate, 24 hours a day. Um, seven hours a week and you know we will see more and more people a, a result as a result of covid wearing the 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 the, the fitbits and uh, all, all these things and will is now working a lot more with executives and then his view is that we should approach major decisions or major events in our business world in the same way as an athlete should approach the olympics right Right, and he doesn't. He doesn't mean we should be lifting weights and running up and down hills. He means we should be listening to our bodies, mm-hmm. and we should be preparing in the right way, so that we can make the best decisions or the best performance. If it's our earnings call, if it's a big employee engagement piece that we're doing, if it's big strategy decisions that we're making, we need to listen to our body. We need to look at our diet. We need to take care about our sleep, our respiratory rate, our HRV. Uh, and, you know, since I've been monitoring this, it is fascinating. If we don't get the sleep, and the sleep one is huge. That's right. And, and you know, sometimes the sleep one is not because, because of time. It's because of what is your mental state. Right. You know, how much stuff is whirring around when you actually go to bed. There is some really serious, important stuff, modernizing stuff for executives in the, the, the principles of Whoop and, and the other kind of um, health tech that is emerging that's, that's similar. I'm gonna, you know, I'm, I, think, I think Will Ahmed is um, ahead of his time. More people should be listening to him. You know what? I'm going to stop you there. We're going to go back to Will in a second. The book is called Leaders in Lockdown. His name is Athel Duncan, all the way from Scotland. You're listening to him here on A New Direction. Hey, folks, uh, listen, uh, Epic Physical Therapy. You know, I talk about them. Uh, they are my therapists. I, I make no bones about it. I know Heidi and Andrew, they own uh, Epic Physical Therapy. I, I know so much, of, so many of the people, the staff. L- listen, they have beautiful facilities uh, all over the triangle, Pe- uh, professional athletes come from all over the world uh, to b- have access to the therapy that they give. Here's the other thing: is that they really care, right? They and really that's the main thing. They really do care. They really want to see you back and performing at not just at the level you were before. They want to see you better than that. That's pretty awesome. Because I have to tell you that every time that I've gone there and that I have had treatment, I've been actually better than I was because they gave me things to work on in addition to the things that we did in therapy. And if and if I do those things, I'm always better. That's the beauty of Epic Physical Therapy. So listen, folks, I'm not going to bother you any further. When you're ready for Epic Relief, Epic Recovery, and Epic Results, just start with Epic Physical Therapy. Just go to Epic PT. That's E-P-I-C-P-T dot com. And Linda Craft and Team Realtors, you know, I talk at, at just all the time about how she's a relationship maker and she's a relationship maintainer, but it really is true. Relationships are, in fact, that important to her and her team. It's not enough that they get to know you before whatever the transaction is. They want to know who you are, what's important to you, why you purchasing this house is important, why selling this house is important to you. And they want to understand you emotionally, mentally, and, and meet those needs as best as they can. And then they want to stay in relationship with you after the transaction because she cares. I guess that's the great thing about these two, these two, Sponsors that I have, they both really care about people. So listen, when it comes to Linda Craft and team, when you want somebody who really cares about not just the price, but about you, your memories, and the relationships that were created in your home or about to be created, don't look any further. Go to lindacraft.com. 
It's L-I-N-D-A-C-R-A-F-T dot com. And we're back here on A New Direction with leaders in lockdown and uh, with Ethel Duncan. Ethel, I want to say something about Will because I did enjoy Will's chapter, by the way. Um, I I really did. And for people who are wondering, uh, Will's chapter is in theme number seven, Maximizing Potential, and it was chapter 25. And he's the co-founder and CEO of Whoop, W-H-O-O-P, which is a uh, fitness uh, wrist um, and I would monitor. Um, one of the things he said uh, that I found, and you already said sleep and recovery are more important to performance than measuring performance itself. You said that, but here's something else he said that I thought was brilliant. Leaders are starting to understand. And I, I think we knew it. I, I just don't think we have leaders who are willing to necessarily commit to it. Leaders are starting to understand that health leads to improved performance and better decisions, quote unquote. Boy, is there a more solid truth than that? Well, we, we saw that in the crisis, Jay, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. The people who looked after themselves, the people who could switch off, um, the, the, the people who took that breath. Right. They were in a, I mean, there's no point being so exhausted that um, you can't make good decisions. Right. No, I, I agree with I mean, you. I mean, who's who's that benefiting? It's not benefiting your purpose. It's not benefiting your cause. It's not benefiting your people. Right. Yeah, um, you're right. This is why I, well, I highlighted it. Yeah. Big time. Yeah, me too. Um, it's, it's highlighted here in my notes and in the book. You know, I make a big deal at the beginning of the show that we have to be in constant training in the four areas of our life. And I am serious about this. Because I know that when you're physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually taking care of yourself, when you're taking care of your body and you're taking care of your mind, taking care of your emotions, and you take care of your spiritual side of yourself, you're going to be better at everything that you do. This is why you can't, it's got to be a lifestyle. And I think that's what Will, what Will is bringing to the table here. I mean, of course, Fitbit too. But what Will really sees, at least that's, this is how it came across to me, is he understands that this is a lifestyle that we've got to embrace because, you know, as many of the leaders that you interviewed said, you know, this is going to, pr- we're going to talk about General Stan McChrystal, but, you know, this is probably not the last time we're going to see some sort of a crisis. Well, we're going to, when's the next pandemic going to be? Right. You know? Right. Um, so out of the, out of this book, Leaders in Lockdown, um, I've started because I've become a bit evangelical about the need for change, the need to reset the way we do business and probably the need to reset the way that we run society. Mm. So I've developed a a workshop because I don't think that people have taken the pause, the pause we were talking about. And I don't think they've actually reflected on what the last year has meant for them in a professional sense, in a personal sense, or their businesses, right? And I'm doing these all over the place. I was doing US chief marketing officers on on Monday night. I was doing um, a big uh, city bank uh, yesterday. And the number of people in these sessions who are asked to ponder, to reflect, essentially what we're saying is, what have we learned as leaders from what we've been through? Right. How has it changed us as leaders? And I assume that it has. And how do we need to lead as we come out of lockdown? The number of people who've had some spare time, who've taken up either meditation um, or walking, or they've taken up some creative pursuit, like painting or drawing or crocheting or whatever it is. And... You know, this is spot on. This is about the balance uh, in in right. your life. Uh, and these workshops that we're doing have been remarkably, remarkably powerful. So I chuck them out there to, to your audience. You want me to do a workshop? I'll come and do a workshop um, awesome. for you. And, and bring the lessons from leaders in lockdown. Allow you and your people to reflect on what you've been through, and then start to consider what are we going to leave behind and what are we going to take with us from the crisis 
into the future because this is really really important stuff so the world is at a crossroads jay (laughs) we can't miss the opportunity for change right no back to the way that it was then we failed all the people who caught this terrible violence virus and we've failed the people who, who, who died of it so there you go there's a free offer Oh, did I didn't, didn't say free? Yeah, there's a free offer to um, all the people who are listening. I'll so, come and do a workshop for you because we need to help each other change the way we lead and change our businesses so that we come out stronger and better from this. So I want to remind people that um, there is a write-up that is part of the blog post that goes out with the show. And if people, when people go to, if you'll read, right, not just listen, if you'll read the write-up, you will be able to contact uh, Athel um, because I put several links to his website that you can reach out and contact, and it's part of the write-up. So make sure you contact him. Take him up. Take him up on it, right? I there's, mean, not, cool. there's not many Athel Duncans on uh, Google, and there's probably not many GIs. <laughs> no, there's not. There's not very many IZSOs, and there's not very many Athel Duncans either. I want to finish up the show here, uh, the last few minutes of the show. I want to talk about Chapter 29, Leadership Learnings, and I want to talk about you because you've come up with a model called the LEAD model, and I would like for us to kind of, for the next few minutes, talk about LEAD, the LEAD model. So can you walk us through, because LEAD, L-E-A-D, is an acronym, so walk us through that if you don't mind. So we developed the lead model and or the leading model um, really from talking to coaches and saying, where are the areas that you are mainly coaching on, right? And these areas are what either stop someone from moving to the next level in leadership or if they master them, they assist them to move to the next level in leadership. So very much coming from that. What you got, what got you here, uh, will not get you there. <laughs> and uh, the L is looking like a leader. So not physically, although there are there are certainly physical elements to this. But do you behave, think, feel, act like a true leader in your profession? in your business, in your area? What does a leader look like and do you look like that? What does a great leader look like do you look like that? The E is for empathy, empowerment, emotional intelligence. We've talked a lot about that already. The A is for awareness and self-awareness, and that's where coaching starts and improvement starts. The D is for delivery. you got to do it. The Mm -hmm. I is for impact, very much about our communications you know, do we communicate in a way that inspires, is memorable, has clarity, brevity, and impact? The N is for nurturing. How do we bring on our people? And the G, we had a bit of a debate right about what the G was. Some people thought it should be for growth, but we decided that was actually a result of the G. And the G that we went for is game-changing. Are you going to be a game-changing leader, a game-changing CEO, um, you know, we don't, we just want incremental change. Are you going to really change the game of the business, the sector, the society that, that we live in? And what, what we do now, Jay, um, is when we're coaching, um, I ask people to score themselves against these um, seven traits of uh, great leadership. Um, and they, they do that very honestly. Um, and then I asked them, well, what, what do you think, what score do you need to reach to be the chief executive, to, to get the next role that you aspire to? And they score that. And then we say, what do you need to do to develop and bridge the gap? Uh, and it's a hugely powerful tool um, that has been very um, effective and very helpful um, in, the, in, in my coaching. Yeah, I think, first of all, these are these are just seven of the, I, I think there's seven great principles in this. Getting to that, I think, you know, we have to evaluate because some people could be, uh, you have some quotes in here that are associated with, you know, like looking like a leader, like for instance, 
uh, you had Lena Nair's quote of leaders who strengthen their inner game, deliver high performance, and get the business to grow. And then you had General Stan McChrystal, who we didn't get to because we're short on time, but was act how you want others to act. And that's what you really are talking about when looking like leader. And I could Absolutely. see, right? And I could see, and then Mark Thompson said it, it you know, you know, you, you know, it's bringing care, clarity to chaos. You know, it's the subtle, flexible, responsive one who will survive and thrive. But the, the, the thing that I think evaluating yourself against each one of these uh, particular principles or properties, you know, you have to ask yourself, you know, am I acting the way that I want to act? Am I really, is my inner game where it really needs to be? And is that reflective? As Is it, um, as, you know, George Hong Choi says, do, how is collaboration, communication, and care? How's that going? Am I acting in that way? I think... You know, and you could say the same thing for empathy, right? You know, I mean, again, Lena Nair leads the way, you know, you need to listen and acknowledge the pain and, and the answers will follow. You know, I think it's really, you know, that if you evaluate yourself in each one of these principles, um, you, you start to see where your weakness is. Because I could see some leaders who go, well, I act like a leader, but I'm not really very empathetic. And then, and then, then the knack is... So you have to make this change. You have to, and, the, and you know, the divides can be quite large. Right. How do you do it? Right. And the way that you do it is by making daily commitments, daily commitments to form your new habit. Mm. It all starts with small things and with a regularity. Um, and we're actually at Black Isle Group. Um, out of the crisis, we've been developing a, a nudge type technology, a nudge type app that will help leaders on a daily basis make these small commitments that start to bridge that gap mm. to the new behaviors um, that they need. And, and, you know, we do that with a wrap of our coaching. And when the coach isn't there, the nudge app, the nudge technology is reminding them. And when, when people schedule these small things into their diary, um, they're about 60% more likely to do them if you schedule them. But it's like our, our, I don't know what you're like with your New Year resolutions, whether it's to drink less alcohol or to, you know, to lose some weight. But most New Year resolutions fail by about the third week in January. Yep. Because we don't actually take any daily actions to deliver the outcomes that we want. Right. So if we want to bridge this leadership gap in the leading model, we have to break it down to specific, regular, and repeating actions. What are the things that will make us look like a leader? What are the things that will make us um, better at nurturing our people? What is the stuff we need to focus on to genuinely change the game? Mm. So you've got to break it down, boom, 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 and the more we can put a process in place that people can follow on a regular and daily basis, the more likely it is that we're going to develop a new kind of leader and we're going to help people get to wherever it is they want to go. His name is Athel Duncan. Athel, we've been on an hour. It has gone so fast, brother. It has. Yeah, it has. It has. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I love doing it on Zoom because Zoom um, has made geography history. But uh, I also uh, love doing it. You know, I spent so much time working in the U.S. before the crisis. Uh, right. I love doing it over a glass of wine somewhere uh, too, whether that's uh, Manhattan or uh, or wherever. Uh, so I can't wait to get back to um, the U.S. on my regular trips and meet my friends and uh, associates uh, in the States. And, uh, you know, our thoughts have been um, with all you guys um, through the crisis um and you know we hope that you stay safe and you build back better and uh, all the great entrepreneurs and all the great business people that we love so much in the states and um, really come out of this um, as strong as they possibly can be that's awesome athel duncan ladies and gentlemen he's awesome you know what i say to you every week right be inspired because when you're inspired that means you'll inspire others and in turn that means they'll inspire others and that will make this world a great place i'm going to be back next week with another great guest another great book it's going to be another great show and as i say to you every week and you know what that is everybody ciao everybody
Dreams will take 